worshiping with us, and Savior, and a song just as I am has been on my mind a lot this week. As some of you may have received a copy of the newsletter or the blog uh, that wrote about that song. It's a powerful song, uh, especially in all of the verses if you were to read those. This time, those uh, may go to children's church or age. Past week on Facebook, the Night Elf Community Information page, someone had, someone makes this mistake every once in a while. Well, that request, we're moving into the area, is there a good church to go to? And I just wait to see because there's this huge variety of comments. This one was very specific, non denominational church uh, to be a part of. Uh, and I think last time I saw it was like 80-some comments uh, where someone posts uh, their church and churches in Nightdale area, you know, four or five various comments all uh, about it. Um, I found out about it because someone had tagged me in it um, and put my name in it. So I would get, therefore, all 80-some notifications uh, that come in. And it's... it's it's a circus. You know, it really is a circus sometimes just to watch this. Um, and interesting, uh, a couple of folks put in Green Pines. Neither one of them are members of the church um, and not really attenders, but they know about the church, and so they posted about it. Um, and the last uh, response I saw about it was from the original posters, uh, the people who posted this. And uh, they said, well, we'll... <laughs> Thank you for all the recommendations. We'll visit a few churches and see which church calls back. Um, I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. And uh, just as I went through this, I can be cynical about this. Um, it's easy for me to be cynical about that. But I refrained from many comments, and I thought that was somewhat of an achievement. Uh, but I thought, well, where's prayer fit into this? How do you seek God? Isn't someone going to say, well, why don't you talk to the God who made these churches and made you and is your Lord and King and will direct you if you seek Him? And that was kind of what I wanted to say. Um, I didn't. I didn't know these people. Um, but it's, it's often missed because we go down a consumer mentality with church. We go to church and say, okay, how can you serve me? And I, I'm reading that as I'm studying James 2. And that's why I bring it up, because I, I feel such a contrast to what church has often morphed into in our society to what James is teaching, and that it is a community of people seeking humans. That you want to go and be with his people who are seeking God and seeking humans. And to say, will I join in with that group to seek other humans with them for God's glory? And it's just something that seems to be absent uh, in this, I, I want to go so that I can be served, versus where can I go to serve the community I live in and lift up Christ and bring people the love of Christ. And so... With that thought, I'm, I'm going to go to James chapter 2. We're 
we're talking about how to have wholehearted worship. And what does that look like? I think that's where James is, is hitting on what does it mean to be complete, lacking nothing. And it's the idea of wholehearted in our life. And so in James chapter 1, he addresses sufferings and, and talks about thank God for sufferings because in it we can become wholehearted in Christ. Uh, and we talked about that at length of how that works with suffering and being wholehearted and wisdom and what that looks. Last week, Brother Rich uh, led us in a study of, of the last part of chapter 1 where we talk about the Word of God, looking into the Word of God as a mirror. And so we walk away learning who we are and what we're to do uh, and the necessity of doing and the warnings there. And so he goes from that to chapter 2. And again, all this about revealing half-hearted or double-mindedness and one of the ways double-mindedness shows itself is how we treat others especially with favoritism partiality our lack of mercy if you uh, would like to phrase it that way and so we're going to look at that and see how that goes together with chapter 2 and how it reveals our heart and so this being God's word I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this together I'm actually going to skip back a little bit um, and go with verse 26, 27 of chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 13. If you want, anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? You have dishonored the poor man. Are not rich ones, rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the law but fails at one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You may be seated. When we talk about the word mercy here, as summarized in that last phrase, there's a general mercy that you and I know, withholding punishment due to someone. But we find in the Bible that there is a more specific understanding of that word. And that is actually to show practical help to other people. 
You'll see this in multiple times where Jesus is talking. And he says, this is what it means to show mercy. When we talk about the good Samaritan and how they helped the one that was beaten. He said, they showed mercy. When he's talking about the ones in Matthew 25 of the sheep and the goats, he talks about what the difference is. is The sheep are the ones who help those who are in prison, uh, help those who were without food, and says showed mercy. And so when we think about mercy, I, I think it might be more helpful for us not just to think of, okay, I'm not going to give out judgment due to them, but think more specific and that I'm giving mercies to people, I'm helping people in a very practical way. And so he's saying that the community of of faith, the church, is to be a place of mercy where we extend out help to other people. But one of the great problems with that is this favoritism or partiality or judging uh, based on certain standards that we have. I never will forget my first year of school. We uh, bypassed kindergarten and went straight to first grade. So I come in at the ripe old age of five uh, in first grade. And there are certain experiences that are more negative than positive in my mind. I remember the first night I had nightmares of my teacher yelling at me uh, because she did. I didn't know you were supposed to color in between the lines, you know. And just, uh, but one of the memories I had was the school bus. It was a whole nother experience altogether. And my uh, experience coming home on the school bus uh, involved trying to find a seat. And it seemed like every seat was taken. And there was one little boy that was about my size. And he could have sworn the seat next to him was taken by his book bag. I vehemently opposed that that was not the case and so I sat down despite what my new partner said and so he then proceeded to hit me on the head with said book bag so you can imagine what happened then a fight ensued and my sister who was uh four years older than me the three grades above who towered over everyone else because girls are like that in elementary school, you know. She came in and settled the, the dispute right then and there. But then, you know, as I think of school, it, it, it hit me time after time after time that this was not the place of grace. This was not the place of mercy. This was a place where I had to fight just to sit down on a school bus. And that's life, isn't it? We go from school. It was such a great experience my first year, I decided to do 20 more years of that. You know? But then you, you go in, and, and work is like that. Uh, school and community, and it, it seems like it's all the same. And so what we have here in Scripture is James is saying, let's be a different place. Let's be a place where there's room for people to sit down that the world says, you smell, don't sit next to me. We're to be a different spot altogether. So let's go into this. Um, as we read in, in chapter 1, verse 26, 27, he says, listen, what, what does it mean for, for God to be in our life, to be wholehearted, that it's going to have effects as we look into the Word of God? In fact, as you verse 23 up above, for anyone who is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face 
and a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. He says, the word of God tells us who we are. Notice that when you look into a mirror, it's to show us who you are. Have you been rebuked by a mirror recently? You know, just like, whoa, that rebukes me. So, so it, it tells you who you are. And so the word of God is first telling us who you are. And notice it says, you don't forget that. Remembering who you are. Uh, what uh, opposes forgetting what you look like. And then going on. And then once knowing who you are, then you do. And so he says, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. There's this two-pronged two approach. And I can read here the generic Republican and the generic Democrat. All right? What, what do we have here? Well, this. Visit orphans and widows in the, their affliction. The ideals of, hopefully, compassion that some of the best, maybe, of Democrats might bring. And then there's this other side. To keep oneself unstained from the world, moral integrity counts. And that may be some of the best sides of the Republican. And so what James is saying, not no Republican Democrats, is yes, it's both. This is what it looks like to have the Word of God shaping us, making us Christ-like, is there is a compassion out there for the ones the world says they don't matter. And then there's also an integrity, there is a, a character change that takes place in our life. So both are happening. And so, as an example, going on with what it means to have compassion, chapter 2, verse 1, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So let me just say this. We demonstrate mercy because we are noble in Christ. We demonstrate mercy because we are noble in Christ. And notice some, some phrasing there. He says, uh, my brothers, show no partiality. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Another way of saying this, a more literal way of saying this in the grammars, is say, not with partiality of any sort must you hold, must you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the glory. Who is the glory. So he's, he's making this connection. Don't show partiality. Don't show these favoritism. Because you have a Lord of glory. What is the connection here? Uh, you know in the Old Testament we've been reading. If we've been doing F260 reading plan. We've been reading about the glory of God. And the what's called the Shekinah glory. The cloud that represents the presence of God. Uh, in the Old Testament the Hebrew word was for glory was kabod. Literally means weight. Isn't that interesting? Weight. God has weight to it. And in fact, Moses says, would you show me your glory? He had seen taste of God's glory. And he says, would you show me your glory? And God says, I cannot show you your glo my glory because you will die. In other words, the weight of who I am cannot be sustained by you. You ever sat in a chair that didn't hold your glory? All right, it's kind of what we've got here. It's, like there, it's, it's not built for this. You can't do this. And, and so uh, what was in the Old Testament, now in the New Testament, Jesus is 
God's glory visible to us to show us who he is. And what is so amazing, in Colossians 1.27, he says, Christ is in you, which is the hope of glory. What is an amazing thing, the glory of God has been revealed and demonstrated who God is through Jesus. And now because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is in you. It's an incredible thing. And so he says, because you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory. You've got the glory of God already in Jesus. You need no longer to strive and scrape and work for the glory of this world. You know what favoritism often is? I see this person and I think they can bring some good things to me. And so let me invite them to dinner. Let me hang out with them because I think they can bring some good things to me that will increase my glory. Jesus is saying, and James is saying simply, you know what? You've got glory already. You, are, you have the Lord of glory in your life. Therefore, you can afford to go down low and serve these. It's like what Jesus said in John 13. The Bible describes him this way. He knew from where he had come from. And he knew where he was going. And he was loved by God. And he loved these people to the end. So he took the servant's robe and washed their feet. How could he do that? Because there was a nobility that he believed in. When he looked in the word of God, he saw who he was. And he realized this is the glory that is a part of who I am because of Jesus Christ. As a church, when we can show you Jesus, when we can worship and lift up the name of Jesus, when we can praise and learn who Christ is through the word of God together, it will free us. It will open up the doors to allow us to serve the community. There is a connection that flows from us, from who we are. In fact, in chapter 1, I showed this as an, an example. If you look in verse 9 and 10, James gives this example. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the riches in, in his humiliation. The gospel brings out that we are low and we are high. And he's simply saying, let those who are low in this world's standards reflect and meditate on the high they have in Christ. And those who are high in this world's standard reflect and meditate on the low that we have. What does that mean? Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus introduced the Beatitudes this way by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit literally bankrupts spirit. For us to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, there has to be first an understanding that we spiritually are bankrupt before God. We have nothing we can offer to God that says, God, why don't you like me? Why don't you give me good things? God, why don't you bring me into your presence? God, why don't you let me be your child? Because look at how good I am. Jesus said it doesn't work that way. You've got to realize you're bankrupt of spirit. There is nothing good within you that God says, yes, I want them. But yet, God extends to us an invitation to be in his family because of Jesus Christ. And therefore, he says, what you once were, you no longer are. Now, you are heirs with Jesus Christ. You are forgiven, and only forgiven, I've made you my son. Reflect on the high. So when you think everyone's looking well at you and looking up, realize 
only reason you have anything is because there is a bankruptness of spirit about you. And for those of us who have the world looking down on us, it says, remember that you are in Christ and therefore you're heirs with him. And so all this is say, we demonstrate mercy because we are noble in Christ. We keep on reading. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For a man wearing a gold ring, literally a gold-fingered man, is what's, a gold-fingered man comes in and fine clothing. He's wearing the Louis Vuitton uh, of, of the day. He, he's coming in, comes into your assembly, and then a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. So if you're ever a greeter, an usher, this is your verse. This is actually speaking to us. If you are welcoming people, verse 3, and you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and says, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, stand on my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves, become judges with evil thoughts? We demonstrate mercy because we are rejecting false standards we are rejecting false standards there is in this world that says this is the nice people that did gain more attention these are the ones who you can overlook but the bible says we are made in the image of god and therefore every if god exists and if jesus exists every human soul is worth more than any mountain you see because it will outlast the mountain every institution will be outlived by the people within it. The building is only important because it houses the eternal souls that gather here to worship Jesus Christ. And so we look and see what are the real standards that last for eternity. And this requires faith. We have to believe in what's not yet and what's not seen. When we have the scene, well, tonight is Oscars, right? I think I saw that somewhere, that they're going to have the Oscars award tonight. So what is seen? The red carpet is seen. The uh, designer dresses are seen. The suits, the earrings, the jewelry will be seen. And there will be someone will documenting every designer dress made, every jewelry made. And there will be these awards given out. And one thing I've learned is that in these awards of the movies and things that's done in the acting, they must have different standards than me. Because I'll watch the award-winning movies and I think this is the most dullest boring movie I just can't get into it and so I've kind of just made a mental note if they win the awards I'm not probably not going to watch it it's I've just learned there's a different standard somewhere along the way and maybe I'm not smart enough maybe I don't get it but I'm okay with not getting it and not understanding it I just realized there's a different standard and so as we read this God's saying look there's false standards what is the eternal distinctions that are being made. And so that's where he says, have you, if you're going down this favoritism road, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It is really important that if we're going to go down the road of judging, that we have God's standards and not ones that the world just gives. I've, I've come to learn that dinner means something different. Than what I understand as dinner. We went down to Charleston, South Carolina. I was visiting with some uncle, uh, some aunts, and I said, "Let's go meet uh, for dinner." 
I said, okay. They come rolling in about 12 o'clock. I'm thinking, what are you doing here? We said dinner. I said, yes, we said dinner. Dinner's at 6. No, dinner's at lunch. It's like, well, then, no, that's lunch. You know? So communication, the standards matter. And what we're saying is, who is worthy? Is it because they make X amount of money? Are they have a certain tone to their skin? Are there a certain age about them? Are there certain abilities? Does that make the distinction? God is saying, no, they are made in the image of me. There's eternity there in their hearts. Regard that. Regard them and have true distinctions, not made up distinctions or standards. We keep on reading. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love them? We seek to demonstrate mercy because not only are we rejecting false standards, but we're seeking God's distinctions. We want to seek God's distinctions about who is in the kingdom of God. And I don't know why it is, but as you look in history, those who have been the underprivileged are the ones who often get it first. Who get the mercy and grace extended to them, and they want that. I've shared with you before, what one of our teams went over to, to East Asia, and it was the homeless couple that they had opportunity to share the gospel with. And it was the homeless couple that came to faith. And as our teams came back, I sat there where you sat. We all heard together uh, how the reports came. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder what's going to happen. Is anything gonna, of significance going to happen with a homeless couple that the society doesn't recognize at all? And then our team goes back three or four years later. And wouldn't you know it if a whole church movement is starting to happen through that homeless couple? that there are others around them that the society cast out. This is, look, we want to share with you the good news of Christ. And, and we see this movement happen that begins with a homeless couple and just lets us know that we can't just create the distinctions. There are people who you may discount and dismiss, but those are the very ones that God wants to use you to work in. In fact, pay attention if there is someone that is being dismissed, but yet they keep coming back to you, keep talking to you. Because it could be very well the one that God is putting in your lap. i never forget learning this lesson, even as a 16-year-old a working at a camp, a New Life camp in Raleigh. And I was just uh, one of those counselors. And, and uh, we had a group of about 8 to 10 boys every week. And it was our job to take care of them, uh, help them. And we never wanted... Uh, the report coming in, okay, you got three bedwetters this week. Because that meant, okay, we get to change the sheets every night. Because you know, we were there in the cabins. And, and um, one week there was uh, someone came in and said, well, you've got a special child coming in. There's some special needs. And so you take care of them. And, and I did that week. And, uh, um, you know, he, he kind of had a, a different smell uh, about him. And these boys all week, they all smell. You know, mama's not there to get them in the shower. <laughs> and so, but this one... That had a, a difference about them. 
And I remember it was campfire night. This is the night that we were supposed to sit with our friends. I wanted to, to sit with some girl, you know. Um, but then this fellow, his name was Justin, came up to me and said, said, Jared, I, I want to sit with you. And there's a, a moment inside where I was like, ah, okay. I didn't really want to sit with him. I was thinking, what am I going to do? And I thought about that in a verse I'd heard many times. came to my mind. I didn't know where it was found. It was Matthew 25. It said, as you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. And I thought, oh, it's not about my standards. This is about God's distinctions. And by so regarding someone that the world says, eh, it is a way for me to worship Christ and worship Jesus. So we want to demonstrate mercy because it's a way for us to love Jesus with those who come in. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26-27 says, Not many wise men of the flesh, mighty, noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound those who are wise. The weak to confound those who are mighty. It is like God to do that. We're going to keep on reading because there's more. We want to demonstrate mercy as we keep on reading uh, through the text. We're going to find because we want to obey love. We want to obey love. He says... We keep on reading verse 6, 7. It says, but you've dishonored the poor man. You, you've, you've dishonored God's distinctions. Are not the rich ones, the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into the court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. This is going right along with what we've been reading in Scripture. So that's, this is the law, the royal law. Notice the nobility here. This is what God has called us to do. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the royal law. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Looking back in the earlier part of chapter 1, when, when we talked about being abstained from this world, we often will understand, we'll get, when someone commits adultery, they're wrong. They're immoral. They broke the law. But James is bringing out this point. But if you're someone who treats one person one way and another person the other way, you also broke the law. And you stand condemned. And the same way as the one who committed adultery as far as being a transgressor of the law. James uses the, the argument of, well, if you commit adultery and another commit murder, maybe you didn't commit adult murder, but you commit adultery. You are both transgressors of the law. Showing partiality is sin. This applies to race. You know that, right? I'm not just talking about money standards. This is, if it's about money standards, it's all the more about skin tone. But it's also about ageism. Where this world makes distinctions, we have to ask ourselves, does the Christian? We will shine as lights when we have different standards in this world. So we want to obey love. 
Favoritism keeps it back. You remember when you were little and you wanted to go swimming? My dad, mom would say, what did you eat? What did you eat? Well, I ate a hot dog. Oh, (laughs) you got a good 30 minutes before you can go swimming. I think they did that because they really just want to take a nap. Um, I've learned that now as a parent. It's like, oh, no, they just didn't want to get in the water. Uh, But nonetheless, it may be true. But there was this, this thing that if you wanted to swim, you couldn't eat right before going. So what he's saying is if you want to love people, then this is a major obstacle to loving. To having these standards that you are constantly judging other people by that is apart from God's law, God's word. We keep on reading. We go through the text. Go to verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We want to be demonstrating mercy, not because we want to obey love, because we want to be judged by mercy. How many of you want to be judged by the law? Especially as we're reading Leviticus, and you realize, oh my goodness. You know, raise your hand if that's you. But yet, so quickly, we will put people in their pegs by the law. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It goes back to the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So what does that look like? I think back um, to the funeral. Did y'all watch the Billy Graham funeral? Um, it's worth watching. Um, there are several powerful, good points into it. One of them, our own uh, Bill Leslie that visited here not too long ago, he was recounting and he got choked up as he recounted this specific story. It's the story of Ruth, the daughter. Uh, you know, and Billy Graham's son, sons and daughters have gone under the same weight that any pastor's children often go through. They have a certain expectation of behaviors that they will do something with. And so you see that played out. And Ruth, the daughter, one of the daughters, shared the story of being married for, I think, like 25, 26 years, and the marriage just crumbled, deteriorated. I believe there's infidelity in part of it. And so she quickly, kind of on the rebound, got married against the advice of her family and parents and just quickly said, I just married, and just she shared just like the day of. She knew it was a huge mistake, and, um, and I don't remember how many weeks. It was just a few weeks before it just was over. And she was just thinking about the huge disappointment of what that is. And, and as she went back home to her mom and dad and just seeing Billy Graham, her dad, her daddy, as they call him, there at the driveway waiting for her and saying, you're welcome home with a big hug. That's the story that resonated specifically with me and a lot of us because we can't always 
relate with the person who's got it all together. But we can figure out what it is to make mistakes and know mercy. That is what's being stated here, demonstrated in that story, is to say we want to be a place of mercy because we will be judged by mercy to say, God, I need your mercy. See, here's the beautiful thing. As we read this story, and he gives the illustration of the, of the rich person that gets the favored seat and the poor person that gets kind of ushered off on the floor in the corner somewhere. When we read the gospel, we realize Jesus is the one who gets up and sits down on the floor and says, let me smell, let me stink, let me wear the defiled raiments so that you can smell like roses. And that's the heartbeat of the gospel. And when someone does something like that, in such an eternal significance, with such great sacrifice, it bonds hearts together. It brings people together. And they want to share with other people what they have heard, what they've experienced, but they do it from position of, we know what it's like to be on the floor. We know what it's like for someone who will sit in our stead. And we want to extend this to you. And so how we treat one another and treat the person we don't know reflects a lot of what we believe about Jesus Christ and God. It's interesting. Reading a report of just the early church. James' death in, in Jerusalem and the church in Jerusalem was, was somewhat similar to what we've experienced with Billy Graham's death. In fact, Josephus writes, a historian who was not a believer, writing after the fact, reflects and wondered whether the killing of James brought God's wrath on Jerusalem. He died around 62. Jerusalem was sacked, destroyed by Rome in 70. And there was fear. We've killed this. What they saw was a man of God. And now God's wrath is coming. As you go down a few hundred years in church life in Rome, I was reading this report, found it fascinating by one of the Roman emperors by the name of Julian. He desperately tried to stamp out the Christians because they were growing everywhere. He lived in 3rd century AD. Despite the multiplying, he writes this. One point, Julian wrote this very, very disgusted letter to one of the pagan priest's friends. In it, he says, I don't know what to do. The Christians are multiplying. And do you know why they're multiplying? Nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of these Christians as their charity to strangers. And pious galleons provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. Isn't that amazing? He writes. Do you know how hospitals began? Hospitals began as we know them today, modern hospitals, in the time of the Roman Emperor Constantine. Because Christians, in the midst of the plague, kept coming and treating with compassion and with health 
and with their own lives those that were being plagued in sickness and gathering and treating them. And Constantine saw this as, a, as the new Christian emperor and formalized, institutionalized these things called hospitals. What it was was an outward expression of a heartbeat of Christian compassion that flowed from people who knew what it is to have mercy. I'm of the thought that when church community is healthy, there will be non-profits springing up from the believers and addressing the needs around. The church business will always be to make disciples, and that is what we will focus on and what we most focus on, but from it will be fruit, and some of the fruit will be people who get burdened by it and see the needs around and say, I want to be a light. I want to share the gospel. I want to make a difference. And as these burdens grow, they'll start organizing. The church can't do all that, but the believers can of the church. Nonprofits start birthing and hospitals are born. To understand, there are certain standards you have in your life. There are certain criteria every single one of us have where we will say they can be a friend and they won't be. And it's impossible to say don't have close friends. That's normal for us. To have close friends, that's the living life. But when it comes to who you will help, and the compassion going out. What standards do you have? And is it more about what the world says or what the Bible says of mercy? And thank God that there is a merciful Savior who says to you, yes, you can sit here. I won't fling a book bag over on top of your head this place is yours I'll take that book back just as you were broken you came and he took you let's pray